Please pronounce your name correctly for me. Hagai Segev. My name is a Hebrew name, which is a bit difficult to pronounce, but it's Hagai Segev. Hagai Segev. Yes. It's not so hard. You just recently moved to Prague? I moved to Prague about three years ago. And what uh, brought you here? Uh, I was looking for a change in life and a change in uh, scenery and uh, to get to the kind of the source of uh, culture in Central Europe. What I was feeling, at least at that time, that uh, Prague will be a kind of a source or a, a good place to start off through and to get to know various other cities around. And uh, the location is great, scenery, landscape, beautiful. Mm -hmm. so and you just moved from where? From Tel Aviv. And in Tel Aviv, you were a curator for how many years? Almost 30 years. 30 years, yes. okay. Now, my, I'm, a, I'm a practicing artist, mm -hmm. and I'm also a professor. And one thing I don't understand about curators is how do you make your living? Uh, in my mind, so my historical general view is, is that curators generally, their most important thing is to like get with a museum and have a full-time job and be working at a museum and you just like have a job for the rest of your life as long as you don't screw it up, basically. <laughs> is that actually what curators desire? Uh, usually, yes. Uh, but practically, especially over the past decade or so, things have changed. 20, 30 years ago, only museums and uh, state institutions or large collections employed curators. Over the past 10 years or so, it has been shifting to a more for freelance environment. And uh, if you are not based in a certain museum or institution or collection, you sort of roam about or find for yourself or people find you uh, to work and curate and work on exhibitions and uh, basically be the producer of anything which is related to fine art. Yeah, and that transition is what's fascinating me because I was in the United States and I was living in Ohio, which I don't recommend, horrible place. Nothing personal, Ohio, but I didn't have fun there. Um, and then I and then I moved to the uh, Middle East, and and I was not able to participate as much in the arts market as a, as I had hoped. And then and now I'm in Prague, and I realized that that's like, basically it's been like about ten years since I've been really really active in the arts community, and it has changed dramatically since I left. And there's lots of changes. So like my historical perspective on curators is that they're these pinnacle of their career kind of like higher you know in a white tower they're these magnificent people that work at museums and they sort of define the arts world yeah. is that still true uh, to a great extent yes it is still uh, true but it has been shifting from the academic aspect of art history and uh, curatorship into the more practical element which uh, is really becoming a kind of a, a producer or editor and at the end of the line curatorship. And this is part of the difficulties which the 
profession has gone through, uh, at least in the past uh, 10 years or so. And it is a dramatic change, which basically formed all the changes that internet has introduced into the art scene. And uh, that's interesting. Yeah. And uh, the internet opened the world. Before that, you had to have connections, you had to have to go through a kind of a sequence of steps that you had to advance and produce and, and get to know people and gradually step by step you will get higher in the hierarchy or in the specific uh, improve your gallery status or the museum status or the international art market now are you talking at this from like your perspective as a curator sort of going up the hierarchy of curatorship or are you talking about as an artist trying to get into the arts world uh, mostly as an artist okay i'm just because, wondering because because there's a separate hierarchy for curators yes like i mean i'm sure there's a low like sort of first job you do out of college or or young or whatever and then and then you you get better and you get better opportunities and you you know, get higher institutions and so on and so on i mean what 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 is that G- give me like what was your process of growing through the career ladder yeah uh, basically f- after finishing uh, uh, university art history you uh, advance into what is called the apprenticeship or working as a curator assistant let's say and then uh, gradually you are improving yourself your uh, academic skills your uh, ability to analyze or to appreciate art and then you become a, a curator maybe a chief curator and uh, they, you go up the ladder but it takes a very long time it can take uh, decades for each of those uh, steps so again it depends where you work and how uh, accomplished you are and how uh, uh, professional you become and what are the senses that you develop in the way you look at art and understand art and know art and know all the ins and outs of politics behind art in addition to the academic aspects of art history getting to know um, artists getting to know collectors getting to know newspaper people or at least it was in the past. Now there are no uh, newspaper people related to art, or there are very, very few. But this all changed because of the internet, and uh, uh, and this is why you feel this uh, in a decade everything is turned upside down. Well, or- I, and that's why I came to creating this podcast because. Yeah. I landed here in Prague thinking that I could use my old ways, the, my old knowledge of how the art world works and, and just land here in Prague and do it that way. And I am I'm completely lost. And so I'm sort of trying to learn. And this doing this podcast is my effort to learn how is it working? What does it do? You know, educate me because I'm lost. You're not the only one lost. I think uh, the entire art world is at lost it's almost impossible to find a connecting thread that goes throughout what is the art profession. There's no one thread anymore. But there was are, there ever, though? Yes, yes. There, that, okay, so, so my impression that there used to be some sort of literal, like, worldwide 
art market that had a, a, a commonality and all this kind of stuff. It used to be true. Mm-hmm. And it's now, oddly enough, even though the internet connects us all, it's actually made us a bit more separated and a bit more, I'm hearing regional. Like, so it seems like art fairs and galleries and, and curators work re- more regionally instead of internationally now. Do you know a single name of a current Picasso? No. You cannot name one important major, uh, one artist that everyone speaks of. Damien Hirst. No. Everybody speaks of him. Speaks Whether they like him or not, they different. speak of him. <laughs> they speak of him. Okay, they speak about uh, Jeff Koons. But yeah, Jeff Koons, actually, good example. Very, very simple. They are the only two, maybe. And they are virtually outside of the art world. Oh, they're their own industry in and of themselves. Yeah, it you know. is an industry. It's not art anymore. It's a commercial design-oriented, money-oriented uh, profession. It mm. is, it's not them. It's, they are a class in their own right, but also at the same time, they are outside of the real art world because they are not creating art anymore. So there is a paradox. And uh, I think this is what makes the current art scene, if there is a kind of an art scene, you can't really grasp it. You have to create your own interpretation of an art scene, of your own art scene. What is relevant to you as an artist? What is relevant to you as a curator or as a professor? And all the shattered fragments are have to be brought into what is relevant to you as a creator, as an author, as a, a producer. And by this, um, I mean that you have to find your own way. And only if you find your own genuine way would you be able to advance. So it is almost impossible really to find this way. And you have to get a sense of uh, inner self or invent your inner self that you are really persistent to pursue this way and to carry it as much as you can and challenge yourself to overcome the many difficulties which are on the way. So it's not just me when I sit back and think, the art world seems exponentially more difficult to navigate now than it did when I was just out of art school. when When I just came out of art school, my professors knew all the galleries in town. I could literally like the each professor had their favorite students and they would they would recommend their favorite students to their gallery that represented them. And there you go, that started their career. Or you were not liked by any professor and you didn't have that great connection that was was a great opportunity. But now it, it just seems like everything is so different. And I, I mean, the social media aspect, the website, the, the internet, it makes it so we as artists and even as curators, I'm sure, and I want you to talk sort of from a curatorial perspective, mm-hmm. have to be our own public relations firm. And we have to put the time and the energy and the, 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 the thought and the work into marketing ourselves, even if we get a gallery or even if we work at an institution. Yes, because you have to do almost everything by yourself. It is, it is a one-man operation or one-woman operation because no one can really promote you the best way but yourself. Now, since most of the young uh, artists 
are much better than their predecessors in promotion, in understanding the media, in understanding the social media, especially, that gallery owners who are usually 20, 30 years older than the artist or the emerging artist have no understanding of social media and they cannot advance the artist the way he would have wanted. And that's one of the difficult, the age gaps have been becoming more and more dramatic. And they relate, or usually the gallery owners relate to what is called the older collector's strata. Right. So they have to bridge the gap between the emergent artist and the uh, collectors who are usually 40s and up. They are more established economically, they can afford and so on. And the, the young emerging artists have no background in that aspect. But on the other hand, the young artists usually through the social media are able to generate much more attention through their own circle of uh, friends or peers. And this is something the galleries owners or the museum curators, especially the older or privileged one, are unable to understand and communicate. And the gap creates this uh, frustration, let's say, by the older generation of artists, why no one really knows us, only the older people or, um, or the 40s plus, or why we are not generating the masses of uh, public relations, of uh, visitorship in our shows. And this is the effort that has to be combined now by few people working at the same time concurrently and trying to let's say, bridge the age gaps and the differences of way of thinking, of relating to things. For example, less and less um, uh, young people are willing to invest on a longer time span in art. They are flicking all the time from one artist to another, from one generation to another. When, when you're saying young, younger people, you mean uh, collectors or do you mean uh, like creators? Both. Even young cu uh, cu uh, curators, curators yeah. young uh, collectors, like let's say uh, high-tech collectors who are mm. usually very young, they are under 30 or 35, they are tending to change the names they are buying or collecting. Mm. They are tending to change styles and shift from one place to another. And another aspect which is very important Many of them live in uh, high-rise building. Most of them are uh, in glass high-rise building. They and don't they have, have no storage. Yeah. No storage or no walls, which yeah. is entirely different to what used to be in they, uh, ma they, they mansions. They can collect sculptures, though. They collect sculptures. They collect uh, video art, which is uh, temporary art. It's not something that you have to uh, exhibit all the time. So even in that respect, things are changing very rapidly. Now, another aspect, uh, city people or city dwellers live in smaller and smaller apartments because the um, prices have skyrocketed in uh, metropolitan areas. So they live in two, three bedroom apartments and not in four or five as their parents may be used to. This also mm. does uh, affect the way they can uh, collect or not collect. And so the collections of, of uh, major works of two, three meters of a painting, for example, 
has become a, a privilege of um, institutions or a, a corporate yeah. enterprise collection. So it, it, there is also a change in that respect. Oh, it's a huge shift in the whole art industry in mm -hmm. that way. Now, as a curator, uh, wh what realm do you fall into? So they, for the past 30 years, you've been curating in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And did you work for institutions? Did you work? Did you, were you a freelancer? Did you work for collections or private collections, corporate collections? Any, any or all? Give us a little bit of insight into the different ways you've worked and the different people you've worked for okay uh luckily i had the opportunity to experience each of those different aspects i started as a curator a guest curator in a large museum in the israel museum which is the national museum in jerusalem israel then i was after five years i worked as a freelance for a while then i went again to join and work in a architectural gallery in one of the schools and then I was uh, again uh, uh, freelance for a while and opened my own contemporary art gallery which is was a huge challenge um well, that's interesting so wait how did the I understand how the gallery maybe come came about but like what happened with it what did you what were some things you learned from that because you're not still running a gallery, so that means that either you sold it or you closed it. Uh, I had a tragic uh, closing, let's say. Uh, I opened a loft gallery in one of the industrial uh, areas of uh, South Tel Aviv, and uh, after a year, the place just went to flames. Oh, literally? Of, yeah. Because Wait, literally? Wait, literally, it went up in flames? Yes. Like They caught fire? Yeah, the building, the entire, it was a huge, uh, 200 uh, factories and lofts and uh, studios uh, in the south of Tel Aviv. And one of the warehouses, the four, ground floor, was set up ablaze and all the entire huge building. And with, you, you were insured, I take uh, it? Yes, yes. Okay. But it, since I'm not a pure, uh, let's say, professional um, how to say, gallery owner, and I came from the curatorship side, which is more theoretical, more artistic in nature, it was a devastating uh, moment for me, and then I uh, wasn't able to reopen it. Oh, I'm sure that's, like, that's just an emotional pain. Yes. I mean, the, the the loss of all the artwork, the loss of just the, the, the energy. and the, the Especially the, the energy, yeah. Yeah, I could the, easily imagine that toward yeah. being difficult to come back from. Yes. So, um, uh, but, but maybe it was for the best. You know, you, you have to look at things and experience uh, things that happen through your life uh, as uh, something that happens. And I was able to to go back to what I thought was better for me, which is, was not the um, economical side or commercial side of art, but to go back to what I really loved, which was uh, theoretical aspects of curatorship, thinking about art, uh, improving my or deepening my uh, relationships with uh, creators, with artists, which is the aspect I love the best in all this uh, process. So after that, I was able to go back and work in institutions in various aspects and uh, to improve my ability to theoretize uh, artistic uh, 
Okay, so help me out. I I'm, treat me like I'm an idiot, like mm -hmm. I don't know anything. The name of the podcast is the Wise Fool, so okay. I, I'm a little bit foolish on certain things. Um, when it comes to you say like, oh, you approached institutions and you worked with these people in this. How does that even work? So let's say there's an institution or a collection or something like that, and they need a curator. Do they come seeking you out? Do you make a proposal of an exhibition and send it to them? Is it, Which way does that dynamic happen? Are they seeking curators or are curators seeking collections and institutions? It works both ways. Uh, it depends on the network you create, because uh, if you are famous enough or, or creating something which is interesting enough for one museum, they might pick up the phone or send an email. We would like you to uh, propose something for us, any uh, exhibition, an event, or any program. It can work from the other side that I, as a curator, write down a, a proposal and send it out, hoping someone will open the email and will look at what I propose. Uh, so sometimes it works one way, sometimes it works the other way, and it, you have to try constantly to find the right way. Well, that's the next question I was going to ask. Which is sort of the better use of your time? Which is the more the one you have more positive outcomes from? I can definitely say it works mm. both ways. Sometimes I propose and send out, and they open the email, and they say, "Okay, this sounds nice. Let's." have a discussion about it. Let's see how it goes. On the other way, sometimes they have what we call a call for proposals. Yep, and they yep. ask, they publicize on the Facebook or the various internet sites that are call for proposals. And they, you send out and people send usually a few hundreds of proposals. So it is very difficult to, let's say, to lift the limitations and find the right way that people will really want what you proposed. That begs the next question. So when you're sitting back in your apartment, your studio, in a cafe, whatever, and you're trying to come up with a proposal, how do you do that? What's your process for just literally starting a proposal from scratch? I try to find what is the right expression of something which is currently in the public interest let's say okay so you, you does, you're looking at the, what's going on in the industry or what's of interest in the in the, in society yes and trying to fit something to that so it can be a, a mood a concept a political movement a, a, a color a whatever yes but there is a limitation or uh, uh, not a limitation but i say uh, a complication because you can't do what many other people do or propose. You have to find your own distinctive uh, approach, your own uh, perspective, which will be original, interesting, but not too original, because otherwise it will be too radical and too difficult to persuade the committees that it is relevant. So there is a kind of, a, you have to find an equilibrium a very delicate one between what is the zeitgeist, what is the general feeling of culture at a certain place or a certain time. And at the same time, you have to f find the unique uh, perspective of describing this approach. So it, the wording is very important. The description of the, the, uh, the collecting or collection of the names 
which would be relevant. How many well-known uh, artists do you propose or how many emerging artists or maybe artists which are virtually unknown and you are trying to uh, make them elevate them yeah. ele elevate them or open them to the public or expose them to the public so you have to play all the time with uh, various aspects or various uh, categories to work very delicately in the same time and create something which on the whole will create an internal wholeness of a proposal or an idea Okay, walk me through a literal process. So like, picture something in your mind. One of your your idea, your proposals that you actually wrote. How did you even find the inspiration to start the proposal? What were the major parts or time-consuming elements in a curator's work is just walking around. It can be through the internet, but that's not a good way. At least not in my eyes. I prefer to walk, literally walk from gallery to gallery, from bookstore to bookstore, from um, show to show, from fair to fair, and meet the people. Because when I personally select an artist, it's not just his art. I take him as a whole. I take his personality. I take his attitude. Would we be able to work together? Would it be good for him in the stage he is staged at or located or standing at to advance to a certain project or not. Uh, how would it be to get people to recognize his artistic achievements? Or is there uh, some difficulty in the way he acts or in what he portrays or plays or whatever so again the, it is a um, I assemble like something like 20 different criteria I write them down not necessarily on a paper maybe just in my mind and I analyze which one would best fit to a certain project and the certain project I analyze to which venue it will best fit to which one I can approach, which one will be willing to open its doors to something which is difficult or different or um, challenging in a way that would be interesting for me. It's not just going and, okay, I'll do another show. No, it's much a process. I'm trying to program my own career through a year, two years, three years sequence. Which actually lends, uh, again, to another question that, that you've brought up for me, which is, in a given year, how many proposals and how many projects do you do on average? I suppose uh, I write about 10 proposals and uh, realize three to four. That's a pretty good percentage, I would imagine. Yes, but then it is based on so many... Um, <clears throat> elements that I have to work through that I try to not to waste time or I know quite early what the potential is of a certain project and to whom I can offer it, to which museum, which gallery, which university or whatever. I know with, with which 
artist I can work because I have the ability to uh, understand through the process I do, the process of talking a few talks, reading, uh, thinking of what the potential is, and uh, to reach to a kind of a ability of integrating everything together in the best way, best effective way. And sometimes I just put the things aside. I say, okay, this will take two, three years. For example, we are sitting in a gallery, Halache in Prague, and we are uh, surrounded by the art of uh, Tsvitolkovsky. Mm -hmm. I know him for maybe five years now. And uh, only after two years of regular meetings, we began to think of an idea of a, a show. And only then it has taken maybe two years to realize the show, to find the right place, to find the right expression of what it is in the show. So it is a, a long process. Everything takes a few years. You just re rarely do you go see something and say, okay, I know this can work out. And even then it takes at least two years because uh, museums, galleries always schedule two, three, even five years in advance, especially Certainly. the major ones. So it, and people also need this process, which is very different to what we are used to in the internet world or in the global media world or in the high-tech world that in two, three months you have to have a product and so on. In the arts, there is still this time element which you have to go through both myself as a curator the the artist himself oh, yeah. uh, all the process around it and i think it is a good element because it um, matures or enables things to mature in the best way um, and there is a contradiction between the fast pace of the uh, current uh, world and uh, the art world which is always a bit behind okay so these days as off my cubes we were just talking about that people are looking for the trick or the recipe or the 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 the, the path or the route to success the, the everybody seems to think that there is a way to be successful in the arts industry I don't believe that's true and that's why I've created this podcast is because I believe that every single person that I'm going to talk to is going to give me a different story of their path and how it was very different than somebody else's path but it still worked and there there might be some little grain of under thing that like something you did and then something somebody else did and then something somebody else did maybe those three things will connect to be useful to somebody else's path but there's no perfect direction or path anymore not that there ever was but there certainly isn't now correct and uh, i i think there's no one recipe and uh, each and every artist or curator in this respect has to find the, what is true for himself or what is the right thing for him to express and the way to express and the, the style to express so i can give a very few elementary elements or criteria, but it's never enough because each one of us creates a different variation of that criteria. And the beauty of art is that there's not one recipe. You can 
try and paint like Michelangelo, but it will never be Michelangelo. You can copy Michelangelo, but you won't have the spirit of Michelangelo. You can try to achieve the darkness of Caravaggio, and you would never get the exact colors or shades that he was able to produce because it comes from his inner understanding or his inner vision of things. Or think of uh, Van Gogh. He probably did see the world as stripes of energies and the expressionistic, uh, very heavy paint one upon another and the bright colors and the contrasting colors. And I suppose each one of us sees his world in the same way. This is why we are different. So in that respect, we have to find through this process, the artistic process or the psychological process or whatever, the correct and right and genuine element that we can express. No one can express the way we prefer uh, uh, a scent or a, a flower or a vision. Someone will like clear gallery space, what is called the white box, and some would prefer the green and yellow and, uh, let's say, blue paint on the wall or in a irregular shape. So it depends. Uh, look at uh, the difference uh, of museum design or gallery design. If you look at uh, Lipskin's art in the Jewish Museum in Berlin, it's entirely different or completely different to the neoclassical museums of uh, the Metropolitan, for example, or the Guggenheim, which is more international style. And it's because each one wants to find his own way of expressing the space or expressing the painterly uh, world or his inner self. And this is what makes it fascinating, that you cannot really duplicate. So you can't have one recipe. Recipes are for people who are followers, not people who are leaders. And I hope each one of us, especially people who are in the artistic world, have this element of being a leader, of advancing thought, sensibility, understanding of the world. And that's uh, very important. For example, I don't do regular contemporary art exhibitions. I always try to combine an historical element in the way I tell a story. Which actually is something we haven't even covered, which, no, which yeah. is, you know, what is your focus? What's your background, your interest? Uh, my understanding is that most curators sort of have a, a specialization, let's say. So what's yours? I like to combine uh, the aesthetics and the philosophy of contemporary life with the input of history. In many of my exhibitions or the exhibitions I curated, I tried to combine even archaeology with contemporary, medieval with contemporary, and to find what is the way we are influenced by the way we are brought up on history, either by the surrounding, the environment, or the landscape we live in, or the, uh, the way we are brought up. And these elements are reflected even in the way we look at the contemporary world. There is always a hint to what we are brought up on. What are the stories, the narratives, the legends, uh, the psychological uh, aspects that we were brought up and how they 
relate to our current life. And in this way, I try to show, for example, that we are not very far away from medieval thinking, abstract thinking, which was very prominent in the Middle uh, Ages. The philosophy was uh, not just to portray the world as it is, as we are in the Renaissance, for example, but to have a kind of a abstract feeling to the place of the human being in its uh, surroundings. And the same we, we are doing today. We are separating ourselves from the environment and we are trying to create a new uh, setting for us as human beings. And I'm trying to show this very unique way of looking at the world. That it's, sounds like you've set up a very tough scenario for yourself. It is. There could be a lot easier ways to curate exhibitions. Of it is. It, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to persuade people to look at this. Uh, well, I would imagine it would also be difficult to even just get your hands on the artworks from these various different time periods in order to create an exhibition like this. Since I'm I, thinking outside of institutions. Yeah. No, outside of institutions, it is almost impossible. But in institutions, and I was brought, uh, or I began my career in uh, the Israel Museum, for example, with a huge archaeological uh, collection, and it was a possibility to do, to do that. But even if I do create right now in a private gallery or a small institute, uh, by giving a kind of a background, not necessarily the original artifact from 2000 years ago or 400 years ago, by giving an insight to a reflection or a, through a photography, through a um, computer imaging, you can always do it. You can add another layer, and this is what I'm trying to do, that we are not just creating contemporary art. We are always basing our knowledge on something from the history, something which has been done in a, some way a few hundred years ago, a few dozen years ago, and it is still apparent in the way we are doing what we do currently. And I think this gives a, a very interesting background or depth a to context, whatever, a context to whatever, to whatever yeah. we do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And now that you've moved to Prague, you're in a new market, you're in a new element of the industry, let's say, so mm -hmm. Central Europe versus the Middle East. Mm -hmm. How different are these two markets uh, as far as curating so i mean you because you're talking a lot about art and artists and all this i'm i'm very interested in your experiences as a curator and the curatorial practices in the curatorial industry because as i started with like i don't know anything about it so please please help me out educate me a little bit because one of the big questions i'll have which you can get into after you compare the two in two regions is how can how does a contemporary artists get on the radar or get known by a curator? Because like just sending out emails to every curator I find on a website, it, it doesn't work. Yeah. You know? uh, so what is the best way f for you? So since you can't talk for everybody, every curator in the world, but the, what's the best way for you? Like how do people, how do artists effectively 
get into your scope of knowledge? I would say that you have to find a way to get personal. And that's very difficult. But writing or sending out emails, a personal email, not just a general. Yeah, so like writing like, hey, I read this introduction you did, or I saw this exhibition you curated, I really loved it and appreciated it, you know, giving them some personal connection. Yes, it has to be. You can't just send uh, just by chance. You have to find what interests you, how you think we can connect, in what way, what is your offer, and don't expect that the, the reply will be immediate because it does take time. And that's, that's an important thing for people to know because uh, like when I send an email these days, if I don't hear back within 24 hours, I'm just like, oh my God, they hate me. No. Oh my God, what have I done? I've embarrassed myself writing this horrible email to them. But you're saying, no, it no. takes so it long. Takes time. Okay. It takes time. It takes can take a few days or sometimes even weeks and months till you get a reply. But don't be discouraged because if your opening letter or cover letter is genuine and creates a, a connection with which is relevant to the person you are sending to him this information. Why have seen an exhibition? I've read your paper. I've uh, heard your a speech in a conference and I thought this could be relevant for you. What do you think? I would like to have your opinion or your advice. It won't work for those who work in huge institutions because they are overwhelmed by the amount of emails they've received, but uh, certainly uh, freelance curators and uh, medium level curators are open to hear from you. And another element is that think, do your research. Check if he likes abstract art, the curator, send abstract art. If you think he likes conceptual art and will be interested by the concept you are developing, send that. If not, don't send, because then it is a waste of time. It's not just a waste of time for the other person for the curator, but it is a discouraging element to you as an artist because, as you say, each letter you do not get a reply is like a stab in your heart. Oh, it, it's is, it's a no. It's, an, I mean, it's much it, more than a no. It, it's an emotional no. It's, I it's, made all this effort, and why do they not take no notice? Why don't they uh, reply? Even just say thank you. They, people, you get hundreds of mails, so it, you have to send out. You have to see or send the right message which is relevant to the person you are sending it. Okay. Along with that, when, so when you receive a package, let's say, of, of an email from an artist, let's assume that they've done a really good job of writing a very personal email. When it comes to looking at the work, I'm fascinated with this balance because making beautiful work is very important well beautiful is probably a wrong word but making strong work effective work appropriate work whatever word you want to put to a successful definition of, of good work yeah. how important is the artist statement that accompanies that to tell you the truth yeah for me it's not important since we are working on a visual art the visual art should work should do the work 
The artist's statement, I would read, if I would read, only after I've seen or go over the images one, two, three times. If it absorbs or gets my attention, that if it works on what I'm looking for, I will read. Because what has become over the, again, past decade, artists have become professional writers of artist statement. Most of them are almost the same. They go, they, everyone reads out to write an artist statement. Oh, there are books out there, like how-to books, and they all follow those same models. But right. but those models, they're, they're, they don't have that personal connection. They don't have that. I mean, I actually do portfolio reviews for mm -hmm. photographers. And one of the things that I often say is uh, when I read an artist statement, I want that artist statement to give me some additional context that I can't get from the images Correct. and to emotionally grab me in some way. I want to feel compassion or caring or some sort of a, a strong emotion about the images I'm seeing in a way that could not have been expressed in the Indeed. images. So, so in other words, like the art, to me, the artist statement should not be duplicating. So don't just describe to me what I'm seeing. Give me something else. Give the work more gravitas, more meaning, more heartfelt passion in it. Correct. Because otherwise there's no use in, in writing it. And it takes a long time to write this uh, 10 to 20 uh, lines. Oh, it's, but it's mandatory these days. We have to write them. I know, but then write it, but don't overact it. Just do something very simple. Don't describe that, but add important information which you can't see in the visual itself. Now, there is difficulty of uh, understanding all the visual uh, elements on the screen, of course. And this is part of the difficulty that you have to try and absorb the best of the information, the best of textures, which is the most difficult element in uh, portfolios. And only then can you really look at what they are writing because people in the museum or in the gallery do not have the portfolio next to them. Like in the old days where literally an artist would show up with a physical portfolio of their works. Correct. So, well, okay, which then lends to a sort of another part of that. When you receive portfolios, is it useful to have a full image and then maybe some details mm -hmm. and to show some of these textures you're talking about? Or maybe would it be very constructive and helpful to actually add a video of like literally like walking around the work so maybe they can see it under sort of different angles and things like this like basically i'm asking what kind of formats are are most useful knowing that we have this great digital opportunities since we have these opportunities just use whatever you can whatever you think it would be the best. We all now, have phones and video video cameras in our pockets. Correct. But so. don't send something which is too heavy or too uh, in such a resolution that blocks or stops the, the computer. Send something which is sensible. Don't send the 100 images. Send 10 to 20, not more. There is most of the curators can understand after three to five images if it's worth 
to them or not, if it's worthwhile or not. They don't need these uh, 100 images. Probably People they send you 100 images? Sometimes. Oh. Sometimes. And uh, or they send uh, long texts or they send uh, five uh, videos. No one will sit and see an hour's worth of uh, five videos. Along with that, another question, because I spoke with another curator about this. CVs. When you receive a CV, do you want the complete CV? Everything from like graduating college all the way to wherever they are? Or do you want a sort of a selected, like one page, like best of? I prefer the best of. And I also prefer that if someone will uh, write a short paragraph of five to ten word, uh, ten lines to describe their art, not as a statement, but what they have done, what they have achieved. And also not just according to years, but if they work in various uh, mediums, like uh, let's separate them, not just uh, 2000. Uh, to 19 to 1990, but the best venues, the best and substantial exhibitions. Don't tell me where you exhibited uh, at a graduate school or high school or in a restaurant. Don't. It just makes a bad impression. Pick what is the best of your work. And if you have a difficulty with the names, add a line to describe why it is important, a certain uh, exhibition. Is it a, a major retrospective? Is it a, ma a major um, group show on a very important subject that you can't understand from the headline or sure. the title? Add a, but very briefly, it's difficult. It's very difficult to make something so uh, uh, absorbing or uh, grabbing the the. Uh, understanding and the um, catching the eye of the curator. It's very difficult. That's why you have to take a long time and work on it. And don't do, don't say send 10 pages of uh, exhibitions. It's no one will go. No one will understand it. No one will read through it. Sounds like I need to rework my CV. Okay. My CV is like nine pages long and I guess I need to edit it down. If we see that you have been working for 30 years, we know you had a lot. Let's, let's talk about how to work with a curator or what is the advantage of working with a curator whilst you are an, a young artist or even a professional artist. Ooh, give me, give me a little quick thing. Define young artist, emerging artist, professional art like the different tiers that, that we often see in the industry that you know you'll see competitions and whatever saying like oh we're looking for young artists or we're looking for emerging artists we're looking for mid-career artists what what's your working definition of those different tiers young and emerging artists usually are regarded uh, artists after college or art school and uh, those who've been working for 10 to 15 years, let's say they are 35. So they are young or emerging. Emerging are maybe a bit later, let's say from the 20s, 25 to 35, if they are still in a kind of a um, development stage. 
they are not fully developed, they, are not fu they have not yet created their own style or their own uh, singular, unique medium or idiom. And uh, then you have mid-career, which are 35 to 50s, and then you have the veteran artists, which are, should be established already. So this is basically the division, let's say. But it is much more than that, because what happens is that in the mid-20s and mid-30s, usually people go through a very dramatic uh, change of lifestyle, they get married or they live with partners and this usually affects dramatically, especially women but also men and there are many dramatic changes. So it is important to be persistent and be able to continue and go through that early stages of career where not established yet, you are usually working in few uh, jobs at uh, the same time, you are finding your own artistic style or artistic medium or artistic um, expression and you have to struggle usually with uh, where are you going to live, who are you going to uh, create a family, move to other places, all these very dramatic life experiences affect the way you work in your art and in the way you are uh, advancing your art. Only in the late 30s usually people begin to really realize and understand what they want to do in life and how they can proceed and determine the rest of their career. And that's past being emerging and past being a young artist and you have to establish yourself and to know where you are going and to know how to cope with the industry. And that's a very crucial time. So for, for women artists, sometimes they have to skip and raise a family for two, three, five years and that creates an, um, a gap in the CV which is dramatic in the way people regard you, especially professional galleries and professional collectors and professional museum people. And you have to know and calculate, preferably in advance, how to overcome this gap in your CV. On the other hand, most of the people do know that this is how life goes. Everyone has encountered this uh, difficulty in his personal life. Well, I have a gap in my CV because I moved to the Middle East and I work figuratively in my artwork. Mm -hmm. And so I, I more or less had to hide almost all of my artwork and didn't do much exhibitions or, or participate much. I mean, beyond the fact that also I worked for the government, so I also couldn't use social media or I mm -hmm. ran the risk of getting in trouble. But you can tell that. You can say that on your CV. I had to move and I was working in the studio and I did not have a chance to oh, yeah, I stage have. exhibitions. I currently moved to Prague with six years worth of artwork that I've never exhibited, ready to exhibit, but no opportunities because I have this horrible gap years kind of thing. So, okay, so you, yeah. can, you can admit it. You can tell about it. You can I'm, talk about it. I'm and very you, open about it. Okay, and I, I don't think you have to hide it. And 
usually uh, the feeling I know that if a studio is overloaded with works, there is an energy of the works or of the artists that has to explode and has to get out and use this energy. Try to tell people about it and to show that and not just say I wasn't able to exhibit. I had three, five years. I had to work internally mm. and to create what I need to show. And now I'm ready to go back on the market. Right. And people will appreciate the way if you are candid about it, if you know to describe it and not uh, describe it as a disadvantage, but as a period that each and every one of us it was my period of reflection, my okay. monastic yep. time. I looked internally. <laughs> and it has uh, affected the way I uh, uh, work now in art. It uh, changes my, uh, su my style, my uh, subject matter. And I think uh, now I'm uh, ready to show. Well, it did dramatically actually change my style. Mm -hmm. Not my subject matter so much, but my style, yes. Oh. But anyways, back to the uh, how, why should uh, people work with curators? W what's the, the role of curators these days? I think the basic setting aside the production element or the production drive, the most important uh, work with a curator is creating a dialogue. Artists usually work solely, secludely in a very limited space they are not just the space of the studio, but the space of their mind. They are absorbed by work. They think everything is dramatically affecting the way the world sees them. And by having confidence to talk with someone else, it's like a coach, it's like a psychologist, but in a direction of the artistic element. And by that dialogue, you usually have the opportunity to challenge yourself, your thoughts, your ideas, your convictions, and to get a genuine counter action or counter reaction to what you present. And it is done in a safety of the studio that you can say anything you can th throw anything at the curator, the curator can throw anything at you, and you can have that kind of uh, impolite counter effect, which you can't have with a collector or with a gallery owner or a museum curator. The curator accompanies you and goes you with you along the various stages from the blank canvas or the uh, blank wall or the um, floor, which is empty. And by showing the processes and the, the changes that go in your mind and then on the platform, artistic platform, you can see what would work better, what will create the best effect, what will be, uh, give you the best result of what you are looking for. And this is, I think, the best element or most important. The second element, usually curators are the ones who write about the work. They analyze, they mediate the artistic thinking into the concrete, literal 
world that accompanies us or that is easier to distribute. And another element which is very important, contemporary art is something which is very challenging for many, many people outside of the industry. Even within the industry? Even within. I didn't want to say that. But it is many curators or many uh, reporters or many academics don't have the feeling of the art itself. They don't have the feeling and the sensation that the artist has gone through in the process. And the good curator affords the transaction or the f better flow of ideas from the artist through the artwork to the real world. And it is very difficult to create this in one person, the artist himself. He can write an artist statement, but usually it will come out awkward or not really comprehensible. The curator, if he's a good curator, makes it comprehensible, legible. So a, a good artist statement oftentimes will come from a curator, not from the artist themselves. Preferably. Preferably. See, nobody has ever said this to me before. I, I mean, I've heard stories of artists hiring people to basically help them write grants and proposals and things like this. But the, the idea that it's a curator, so this is a avenue of income for curators, and this is something that, that artists should be paying curators to be able to do for them, yes? Now, payment is not only not always financially. Sometimes you give a artwork as a kind of a barter. I love the barter system. I uh, wish everything barter was barter. Is, is a very important way of creating because it provides. Usually, the curator is unable to afford to buy an an artwork. Usually, good curators work with people they like or artists they like. They would love to have a, an artwork as a barter or as an exchange, as a present, whatever you define it. Because I feel that I give my heart when I write about an artist, because I would not write a, a, about an artist who is not accomplished in my eyes, in my view. So if he, I give him a, this kind of present, which is in my mind that I have the ability to write in a good way, people understand it, people like it, I would appreciate very much to get a present That's back. That's great. I love the barter system. I wish I could pay rent that way. It'd be magnificent. Sometimes it helps. No, yeah, you know, it kidding. happens. But uh, again, there are various ways of communicating or exchanging presents. Not necessarily. I, I feel, or many of the artists I work with, feel that I give them a present when I write about them in a way other people suddenly understand or see, see the insight, see the, the beauty in their work. Hmm. And this is something which is very crucial. So it's not just professional. I suppose that you can be a, a strictly professional and analyze someone's, but it won't be the best. The best is when the, peop the person you work with, either as a curator putting things on the wall or in the gallery space or writing, if you don't have that sense of uh, appreciation, of love, of understanding, it would not come up right. 
then to totally shift everything because finances came up. These days, I've been hearing stories that commercial galleries are now hiring curators and paying, offering to pay them percentages of sales. Is that true? It happens. It, yeah. The thing is, again, with the challenging times that galleries go through because of the internet where, where many artists or collectors connect over the heads or over the roofs of the galleries and the gallery industry is going through a dramatic change. Basically because uh, more and more uh, galleries go just to fairs, art fairs, and because of the high rent rates in the large cities. One of the ways to overcome it is not to offer the curator a salary or a wage or even stipend. A, a, and to give or offer them, if you curate a good show, if you select a good artist, let's divide the proceedings and share them in some way. But doesn't that sort of sully the, the, the purity and the innocence and the, the, the sort of esteem of a curator? It of course it does. But on the other hand, the curators have to change the paradigm of being just theoreticians or working purely for the art's sake because it doesn't work anymore. So you have to find what is right for you. I would not like to do that, but I know galleries do offer that. They hope that by doing so, there would be more energy or a better driving element in the way you curate or the selection of the works that will be more profitable. But this is uh, something that goes on a very dangerous yeah, that's oh. how I feel. I mean, it's, I feel like it's a slippery slope down to basically just focusing more on sales than on quality or longevity of a, building a career through strong exhibitions it, if you're focusing on the daily sales quota. Yeah, yeah. but again, uh, space is expensive. Each square meter or wall meter uh, space in uh, New York is enormous. You have to cover it some way. Now, uh, if don't you go... Me, don't get me wrong. I'm just a, being a purist in this. I'm I aware know. that business is business and, and they need to make money. These galleries need to make money to keep their doors open so that they then can help these people build careers and do this kind of stuff. So I, I'm not that naive or, or, or negative about it. I'm just surprised. I think that the art scene is following the capitalistic, uh, piggish capitalism which we are in, hmm. uh, and uh, the the it changes. It wasn't this way ten years ago, and it has become more and more commercial. Or the ideas are becoming more and more commercial. You, you know how much it costs to, to go on a fair as a gallery, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. for just a few days. So you have to find a way to compensate and to make a profit. Otherwise, everything will collapse anyway. And it is, as you, if you can read what's going on in New York City, many of the galleries are shutting down 
because they can't afford anywhere. They, and the uh, collectors just look on internet and can directly approach the artist. They don't need uh, to go through the broker. Which actually is also an interesting question. How, what role does a curator play in the relationship between collectors and, well, collecting? So galleries or artists or anything. In the past, I've known people who were curators for private collections, but they often did it on sort of more of a freelance position. So it wasn't a full-time position. So do those kinds of things still exist or do collectors, are collectors leaning more towards the believing that they have the, the expertise themselves because of the internet and all these kinds of things, or are they still relying on curators? Large and professional collectors rely on curators they need because a businessman usually does not have the time to study and to research and to know what happens all around the world because it is a global market or even if a local market you have hundreds of thousands of, of uh, artists just like in Czech Republic so there's no way a, a collector would know everyone now you have to also separate the uh, collectors and their curators and museums and their curators because uh, museum curators sign a kind of um, a proclamation or statement that you are not allowed to deal with the uh, collectors or with collection of artistic works which are relevant to the, the professional uh, field like if you are a Renaissance uh, a, a curator, you would not deal with Renaissance art, but you can uh, advise on contemporary art. For right. example, it could be a conflict of interest. Basically, yes. you have to avoid conflict of interests. And uh, when you go as a freelance, there's no basically there's no conflict of interest because you are serving yourself. You are a freelance. Uh, but again, it depends on how you personally work and uh, to watch which direction you are inclined. Are you inclined into academic uh, aspect or are you inclined into the commercial aspect? And you have to decide to which uh, you prefer and how to work on your own uh, <coughs> ethics, let's say, what are your ethics regarding the sale and collecting of uh, artifacts. And what do you currently do? So you're sort of new here in this market. Have you uh, favored working more with institutions at this point? Or are you more commercial galleries? What are you personally doing in your career? Currently, I'm trying to work as a, I'm working as a freelance. I continue to work at home in Tel Aviv. I work all the time and I fly back and forth. And there I work with uh, institutions. Uh, here I'm trying to establish myself as a freelance curator to open up to new opportunities and to work with galleries or maybe institutions. But it is difficult, again, lacking the ability to talk or speak Czech is, makes it very difficult with local institutions which don't, in, don't open up so much to uh, foreign languages. Even if they know English, of course, most all of them know English, but it is difficult to conduct everyday uh, work basically without a Czech. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, it, one of the things that I feel about the Czech art scene is that it's not open enough to outside 
energies, let's say. It is very close to the local art scene and uh, there's not enough uh, foreign exhibitions. There's not enough people traveling abroad and they travel, but not, not enough to absorb and to bring with them back uh, cultural relations. So there are a few uh, artist exchanges here, but I feel it's not really enough. Uh, which, which actually lends to an interesting question that I've been interested in about curators, because a lot of times I see residencies that are offered and they say performers, visual artists, curators, and this kind of thing. So like, have you ever participated in any sort of a residency as a curator? Uh, yes, a few. Well, yeah, in Austria, in Vienna, and in England, but not so much because most of them are really dedicated for uh, artists. I think what is important with this system of residencies is really to create an international network of uh, artists getting to know artists, living in a space uh, or in a place where they are not acquainted with and getting to know the uh, artistic uh, scene and to know new people and then what is important that they usually take with them at least one or two contacts which we are able to work from the other way to create something mutual because let's say uh, someone comes to Czech Republic from uh, France and then probably will invite someone uh, a Czech artist to France and this creates a, a network of which is crucial for the advancement of any artistic uh, scene. And have you ever, as a curator, sort of maybe gone to a residency program and, and sought out some of these international artists yes. to potentially then work with as well? Because that's one of the things I've heard about residencies as a participating artist is that oftentimes galleries and curators sort of favor looking at the artists of a particular residency as potential because they're of a certain level, they've passed the, the curatorial standards of that residency, and so therefore then they could easily lend towards this gallery or this curator's interests. One of the difficulties, as you mentioned, is really finding out the best. And you have to go through a very long process of selection and basically elimination to reach to the best or to the top or, or something or to a certain direction. What, why is there a, a certain structure of commercial galleries, better established galleries or high street galleries and the top galleries and then small institutions like uh, Kunsthalles or small galleries and then uh, larger museums and then the national museums and the but this is a kind of a process that you elevate each time you go one step ahead and you improve yourself and the selection becomes more and more difficult and a, a, a narrow stream. And this provides the institutions a way to eliminate and to select probably the best or the better or the ones who are more inclined to the direction of a certain institution. And this is part of the process. And this is why you work with, uh, for example, uh, first of all, you, you work with uh, freelance curators, then you get an institutional curator, then you get uh, to work with, a, let's say, academic uh, curator and maybe a major museum curator. Step by step, you ad advance and you find in which 
category in which strata you are best expressed as an artist or as a curator and it works both ways now the same way when i am invited to a residency usually as a curator what i do instead of working in the studio i am taken from one studio to another hmm. i can see five seven studios a day preferably i will get to know one or two or three of those artists i meet and when i get back home i will continue the dialogue with them broadening the network and by that the residency does its work or is creation creating a new uh, environment which that that continued communication that relationship that's built between the artist and the curator or the artist and the gallery or the artist and anybody that to help them with their career that's a very difficult relationship to create and and then exponentially more difficult to continue it's because very- I find myself like I don't I can't talk for anybody else's weaknesses but my biggest weakness is I can't I'm very bad at continuing relationships. I can create new ones, I'm very social, I'm very, you know, open and I can I can find people but being able to continue and build and and uh you know adjust that relationship into something bigger and better and newer and more productive for both people parties involved that is really the the magic like that's the hardest part of the whole thing correct because it is easier to to work on a new project to to uh, new is way more fun it's fun and it's creates a lot of energy and uh, drives you and you express yourself openly and to to see the differences or the challenges or the changes that are gradual it is much more difficult but it is much more important because this is way the way you really create a network not a, a arbitrary network but a substantial network that can advance you and if you can work with the same people or the same artists for 10 or 20 years you will gain many many more advantages yeah this is a a mistake that i made in my career uh, that i have realized since beginning this podcast that i didn't realize just how detrimental it was to my career which is i moved a lot uh, i kept moving uh, I, you know i would go to different schools in different parts of the world and then i would change jobs and i would you know move and then now i've moved from the united states to the middle east and then from the middle east to the to europe and every time you move you literally have to start from the bottom again and build yourself back up again and and so i find i've been finding that through conversations that staying in one place is the smarter way to build your career i mean as far as like a home base let's say so like where you're having your studio or your home base or your house whatever you want to call it, your home in one place and then you can go off for a year here a year there six months here whatever and you can exhibit in other places and do residencies in other places but having that core foundational network is one of the most important things yeah and this is why i my advice is even if you go away always continue to keep your former network active inform let them know what you're doing even if it's not relevant no one will come to see your show in prague 
from the uh, Middle East. Yeah, no, no, nobody from Wilmington, North Carolina is coming to my exhibition in no. Prague. But they should be aware that you are still exhibiting, that you are writing to them, you are sending them photos, you are informing them. And by that way, you will gain much more because what happens in many times is at a certain period, everyone is fed up of you in your home base. Okay, we know you, you are not introducing anything interesting. We have seen all your work, you're boring. Keep aside. But if you go away, suddenly something happens. They miss you. They miss you. Where have you been? We haven't seen you for a long time. Keep us updating or tell us what you are doing, inform us. And since you are far away, there is something that elevates your strata or your uh, <clears throat> position even more. And then when you come back a year, two years later, you have strengthened your uh, abilities or your offerings, let's say, hmm. to the world. And basically, this is what I'm trying to do. I came here for a while. The first year, it was al almost entirely discontinued. Everything was quiet. I was quiet. I was studying what it is to be in a foreign place. And only now, after two, two, almost three years, I can feel that I'm longing for what I was leaving behind. And people back home are longing to hear what I have to say. Because the process I've been going through is gaining some more or a, a different perspective, a different energy than it was before. And at the same time, keep all the time, all the time, the connection, the contacts. Don't give up the contacts and say, oh, I'm far away. I'm a three hours uh, fly uh, uh, away. I, I, I'm and a 16 uh, hour flight away. Yeah, for you, it's different. much more difficult than the time changes. But still, I think there is a better chance that uh, since you are being successful and no one really knows to what extent abroad, you can have a better chance to intrigue folks back home and to tell a new stories, a new story following all your travels around the world. So there is a disadvantage, but there is also an advantage. You have much more experiences than the people who stayed at home and stayed the calm, uh, regular, everyday, normal life. And you've experienced so many adventures that you can come and tell about them. So it's not black and white. It's, it never is. And you have to find what is relevant for you and what is, provides you the basis for a new career, a new adventure, and so on. Thank you for the pep talk. <laughs> no, but it, it does work this way. I think so. I hope so. I, I, uh, there is a saying that you're, you are not a prophet in your homeland or hometown. And you, when you go out... People regard you because you are far away in a different way. And he has the courage to go away and uh, he has done uh, so and so. And things look much better from afar sometimes, not always. Yeah, see, I'm always thinking of the quote that says uh, when you sometimes, well, when you move and things like this, uh, you're either running away from something or running towards something. And the question is, is which one? Right. And, I, and I, I'm always wondering whether I'm running away or running towards. I always hope I'm running towards, but yeah, I'm not sure about that. Okay, but 
it can change. Indeed. It does. Through the course of the podcast, I'm going to attempt to get a piece of my artwork exhibited in the Museum of Modern Art. Not an entire exhibition, not anything like that, a solo or anything like that, but just a single piece exhibited in the Museum of Modern Art. And every single person I talk to, I ask them for advice on a step. So I do not expect the entire, you know, process from A to, to Z on this, but the process, just a step in the process, what's something that I should or could do that would assist in putting me on the path of having a piece of my artwork exhibited in the Museum of Modern Art in New York City? Since I had time to think about it, I would be provocative. Why do you need to exhibit in the MoMA? How relevant is it to you personally? It's a good question. I like being questioned. Uh, the, the reason for that is because for the sake of the podcast, I wanted to create a quantifiable result. So the idea is, is I'm going around talking to all these different people, curators, artists, gallery owners, whatever, in the arts world, trying to figure out how the industry works. And basically, I want to be able to quantifiably say, I learned how the arts world worked well enough to get a piece of my work in the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Okay, so I'll tell you again, I won't answer directly, but I will say, have you ever asked or talked with the many artists who have been on exhibition at the MoMA or any other major museum? Are they better, are they feeling better with themselves? And I can tell you that I have asked many people who've reached the top of their abilities and uh, achievements, none of them are content. You can reach the MoMA and you still will feel, I can guarantee it to you, you will feel neglected and unpraised and unaccomplished. So don't even try to get there and be what is best for you. Don't try to do something which is a superstar or superhero image which is usually an illusion i'll accept that and that's a legitimate perspective on this i'll give you a secondary question that was one of my that's a a, a further idea that i have about the potential sort of outcome of this continuing podcast which is i hope that through the conversations that i have from all the different conversations that i have i and listeners can somehow gleam some ability, some insight, some ideas that will assist me, because of course I'm, I'm an artist, I'm narcissistic, but will assist other people that are listening in being able to sustain themselves in their career. Because that's personally, that's my biggest goal is that I want to be able to afford to do what I want to do. So I want the space, the time, the money, whatever it is, or all of it, to simply be able to create the work I want to create. So what about some advice to help? It doesn't even matter, artist, curator, whoever. Some advice that from your experiences of like, how can people reach that ability to find that sort of sustainability in their own careers? I think this is the one of the most difficult uh, questions because it is really virtually impossible to sustain economically based on the artistic achievements. Only few, less than 5%, I think. Oh, I've heard less than 1%. Yes, but I'm a bit generous. Maybe 5%. 
are able to really do that. So what I used to sell to my uh, students at university is find a partner who is willing to support you in every, whatever you do, because he's less inclined to set conditions. And since it is almost impossible to have a sustainable life or lifestyle in today's uh, economic conditions, you have to have the ability to free yourself from the other obligations. Now, it doesn't work so easily, of course. So the other way is really drive yourself to the best of your abilities. Don't give up. Never give up. Because if you persist, there is a chance that you will be able to really, really express and persuade other people that it is worthwhile to pay for those expressions that you are producing. There's no other way. There's no, if you are not 100% or even more dedicated to your art, there's no way you will make a profit out of it. You can dedicate 100% of your life to art and there still will not be a gaining, at least not at the beginning, maybe at a later stage, but you have to continue and do whatever you believe in. Otherwise it's not art. Fabulous. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you.